Welcome to Looks Like New on KGN News, It's the Economy. I'm Skylar Hugh. This is a show that asks old questions about new technology, even addressing questions that should have been asked a long time ago. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month on the radio, or you can listen online as a podcast. Looks Like New is a production of the Media Enterprise Design Lab at CU Boulder. In an age where getting connected is just a few clicks away, online entertainment has naturally become a growing industry. Whether it be watching TV shows together, calling and messaging friends, or just posting on social media, we have all had exposure to how online activities can bring us together. Online video games have functioned as an amazing medium to bring people together during a time of quarantines and even form a competitive environment for many. Maybe you've heard of esports just as a term floating around on the internet or through your own interest in competitive video games. While still fairly new, the field of esports has grown rapidly in the last decade and has even overtaken every sport except the NFL in streams. Nowadays, players are signing multi-million dollar contracts to join teams and even are moving internationally to compete. At the collegiate level, Players are offered full-ride scholarships and amateurs are entering $10,000 tournaments. Esports has fostered large communities around video games and has created a major industry for content creators, media producers, and entertainment as a whole. Today, we are going to have a conversation with a media manager who has been involved with esports and media production, answering the question, how real are esports? Jake currently works in the TV and commercial production field and has been playing video games since his childhood. His earliest games include classic arcade games such as Pac-Man and eventually grew into PC games on his father's home computer. With the rapid development of competitive video games came the most popularly streamed esport, League of Legends. This particular game was captivating as a rapidly developing competitive environment and also with volatile and improving skills. Growing up with a fairly new infrastructure for online entertainment, Jake has been a pioneer in the esports media production industry. Since 2014, he has been involved as an event organizer, production developer, and community organizer. Thank you for being here today, Jake. We are so excited to have this conversation with you today. I'm excited to be here, Skylar. Thank you so much. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your background in video gaming and how did that manifest into streaming and kind of the media side of esports? Yeah. So growing up, obviously, as you kind of went through, I've played a bunch of video games. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I've, I've played a lot of the, the classic video games, if you will, and especially from a, a PC side of things, grew up playing all, all sorts of games. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. But I also, at the same time as I was playing video games, um, I got a huge passion for acting that turned into a passion for um, film, which turned into a passion for um, doing all sorts of stuff when it comes to cameras and media. I had a YouTube channel that I ran for a while that I was just filming all sorts of little short videos and and, and short movies and stuff and, and was putting them out there. So I got um, heavily involved in the creation of media, not just the consumption and, and playing game side of things. And so once I got involved in the esports side of things, which I was watching a lot of the professional League of Legends um, scene, which we'll get into it a little bit later, um, I got really excited about the concept of Essentially, I'll just take you back to when I first began my journey into what would be my adventures through the esports scene, which was I couldn't take players and put them on a professional stage. 
So instead, I decided that I would bring a professional stage to players, no matter what their skill level was. And so I started off a journey learning, just self-teaching myself, all of the programs and the necessary equipment and buying the pieces that I needed to be able to put together a production that felt very professional for players of all caliber, whether they were extremely skilled or low skilled, it didn't matter. Um, I wanted to, to bring the professional side of things to players. And through that process and through that journey, um, I went through all sorts of varieties from a caster to um, a producer and an observer for the actual games themselves, the streamer who was running the streams to the event organizers for tournaments and leagues and all sorts of different games, you know, outside of League of Legends as well. There's a, a huge number of, of esport titles that I've had fun with. And uh, the, across the board, my passion has always been for bringing the highest quality production to these players because they have stories that deserve being told. And there's something special when you are playing, whether it's a traditional sport or an e-sport, and you are the person who at the last you know, seconds, right before the buzzer, throw that basketball and it goes through the hoop, catch that long, you know, throw in a football and run it in for the game-winning touchdown, or you know, finish the last possible hit on the base and, and secure the game victory in a League of Legends game that is just so incredibly exciting. And the the passion and the joy that you feel as a player who is participating and completing this incredible thing is a little bit uh, kind of shrunk down when it's only you and you're just in your room playing your little game and that's all that it is versus on a football field or a basketball court you have the screaming fans that are going nuts and and everyone's watching you create that game winning score i wanted to create that same environment and that same feel when people are watching these players play and perform at their absolute best and they get to walk away from the game winning score and go wow that was amazing. I love that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's super cool that you want to just really have a player-focused mentality and really just show off like all these players' best moments. And so that kind of leads really well into my next question, which is kind of like, you know, there's this huge divide, it seems, between um, traditionally broadcast sports and also esports. You know, you're saying like you got all these fans and people there already. And for esports, you know, it's very individualized. You're in your room, right? So, how does um, esports imitate that televised entertainment that traditionally broadcast sports do? Yeah. So, and this is where uh, to get into a little bit of the similarities between the two, um, you're going to have to look at people's exposure to the sport, whether it's an esport or traditional sport. A lot of times that people get into traditional sports, it's because their parents, their grandparents, maybe their great grandparents, whoever it was, um, maybe they played way back when, or maybe they had a friend who played a lot and they supported that person in the game. So they learned about the game. They had more knowledge about 
about the game, which meant that they went to those games and were able to enjoy them because they knew what was happening in the game. They pass on that information. They take their kids to those next games. And maybe the kid doesn't really care for baseball, but he goes with his parents to the baseball games and through osmosis, through simply being you know, showcased to that game, is learning about the game, learns the information, asks the questions, and then begins to enjoy the game because they know about it and they know why certain things are happening in the way they are and how the points are scored and what's going on. That's very generational and traditional sports. You also get the the passionate, um, because I went to the same college or we live in the same state as this state, or there's some way that you connect with that team that is playing for that state or that school or whatever, um, that you you may not care a ton because you never played football, but you know what? You went to the school and because there's a football game going on, a couple of your friends are going, eh, I don't really care too much about football, but I want to hang out with my friends and do something on a Thursday night. Let's go to the game. And you go and participate. Well, League of Legends is very much, or just esports in general, is very much the same way. There are different tiers in which you have the professional tier. So let's talk like baseball, for example. You would have the MLB would be the professional scene. And then you would have the, um, uh, now I'm going to get confused for a second, minor leagues. There we go. The, you have the minor leagues, um, which would be the academy scene. And then you have what's kind of below the minor leagues for baseball, which would be the proving grounds, the collegiate scene um, where colleges are starting to compete. And so you have a, a similar um, levels of experience and levels of professional play, both in these you know, entertainment, gaming, esports, which at the end of the day, esports is just a game in which players are competing against each other, both trying to achieve a goal that is a victory standard. Whether that goal is something like in Rocket League, where it's extremely similar to soccer, all you're trying to do is push a ball into a net, except that you're doing it on cars and you're doing it on the computers rather than on a field, kicking it with your feet. Um, League of Legends is, I talk a lot of people like football. Instead of trying to run a football in for a touchdown, it's two teams of five players that are both trying to get to the other person's base and, and win the game. And you know, so you're trying to get through the other players, avoid them or, or beat them in such a way that you can get past them and get to their base and win the game. And so in the same way, all it is is competition. And for esports, you're doing it through these very um, complex competitive games. And in traditional sports, there are complex sports. I'll tell you for, for one thing. I still don't understand hockey, and I've watched a lot of hockey, all right? <laughs> when certain hockey players throw a puck across the whole you know, rink, and it's called icing for some reason, but then somebody does it 20 seconds later, and it's not called icing, I, I don't get those details, but I can still enjoy a good hockey game. Um, in the same way for esports, I think that there's the people that are generationally starting to get a little bit older so they're not playing as much but they're passing on that knowledge to their kids and so in the same way that it's a, a way to connect with your family with traditional sports it's a way to connect with friends it's a way to connect with people that are interested in the same game the same passion the same competitive spirits and then soon it's kind of starting to develop into a way to pass on that information to the next generation of kids and teach them about something that you love and are super passionate about yeah, for sure. I think uh, esports is a very good way to bring together like these people in a totally different way that sports does. And you know, like you said, um, I thought the point about like going to a football game is super relevant for me. You know, being a college student, 
you know, I was you know, involved in football here and there, but hey, you know, my whole friend group's gone. I might as well go too. You know, it just brings a lot of people together. So, in a similar way, um, you mentioned like esports can have the potential to do that, but also just being over the internet and not having, you know, just very remote connection. How does uh, esports foster this community that kind of is what sports are traditionally like built upon. Yeah, it's again about that that connection. Um, with traditional sports, there can be a degree of needing to show up at a field and and show up and play on the field at the same time. You're having to kind of bring a bunch of people together. Um, esports are a little bit easier to get kind of plugged into because it often doesn't require as many people, and it allows for you to you know again usually because these are team environments hop on, participate with a bunch of you know, friends and play in these games. But you can also practice in the same way that people um, may go to the gym just to get stronger, to be able to do certain things in traditional sports. You can get on and practice these games by yourself. And so uh, there's ways in which you can try to increase your skill. But no matter how much you practice solo, you really, if you want to perform at the absolute best, you have to practice as a team. There just is not the same level of experience practicing by yourself in the same way that going to the gym will not make you as good a football player if you're not out there on the field with your team working together. And that kind of uh, forced team environment that pushes people to play together, to work together, to practice together, forces a little bit of that community in a good way because it allows you to connect and really people become, you know, brothers, if you will, uh, through or, or sisters, you know, through the um, connection of playing these games again and again, and the wins and the losses that come with that. But because you also have these online internet connections in which you can be connecting with someone from the East Coast to the West Coast, or sometimes from different countries, Canada, North America to South America. I've had people that I've played with from other you know, countries, the, the EU region, um, that I enjoy playing and participating with that allows for a much broader sense of community. And you see programs like Discord, which is basically a instant messaging platform, but that fosters the ability to bring friends together in large communities to be able to share what they enjoy about the game, the, the wins and the losses and the struggles and the successes and the amazing um, plays that they make and, and do and perform and everything. Um, it, it's really an exciting time to be able to engage with people from almost anywhere in the world all you have to do is have an internet connection and share a passion for the same competitive spirit in playing these games and you can connect with almost anyone um in the world over these these esports i, I do want to toss in here as well um it's not just even playing the game because you can connect as fans as well uh Traditional sports from a broadcasting sense, usually from the professional or even the minor leagues, let's say for like baseball, you know, major leagues and minor leagues, you have a broadcast which has a camera feed or usually multiple camera feeds that all showcase what's actually happening in the baseball game, tracks the action, and then you have commentators that also will provide extra feedback, will give you some statistics about the players, give you some interesting information, and that react to what's happening in the game, which as a viewer, when the commentators are getting excited because this incredible thing is happening, as you know, fans 
of the game as well. That's the same thing happening emotionally to us when we're watching it, at least if it's our team that's doing the amazing play and winning the game. <laughs> and so in esports, you get the same thing. You have these in-game uh, cameras, and they're called spectators, in which they're able to watch the action of the game. And then for esports, they almost always are paired with a whole production team, which has people that are watching the game, switching between camera feeds, different players with commentators that will provide statistical data upon the players and their performance, um, get really excited as they're explaining some of the big plays of the game and talking about the, the amazing action. And then you have an entire what's in the industry called the analyst desk, where between games and between moments, there may be a, a little bit of a cool down period where people will just sit and talk about the performances of the players. Are they doing well? Are they doing poorly? Same thing that you get with football during halftime, where the, the people that are highly experienced at football in the game will sit down and talk about how are the players performing? Are they meeting expectation? Are they falling behind? What do they need to do in the second half to come back and perform better? Um, and what are we looking at from the history of this team and moving forward into next week's and the future week's games and next season and all of these sorts of things, those are all as equally applicable to the esports arena because at the end of the day, while for some people looking at esports, you may see them sitting in chairs, not uh, sweating it out on a field, they're still athletes in the sense that their reaction time, their ability to analyze a situation and decide in microseconds exactly what they need to do to have the best possible outcome and their knowledge of an incredibly complex, whether it's a traditional sport or e-sport in this case, to be able to make the best decisions for how do I achieve victory? How does my team win this game? Are all incredibly more mentally on the e-sport side of things, um, but they're, they're still incredibly athletic. And there is a strong um, sense of athleticism in terms of the reaction speed, being able to see where the right things are. I, I take this and, and kind of relate it to in football as the quarterback, as soon as the ball is snapped, you have a massive amount of information that you're looking at in front of you. You have to know who the right person to throw the football is that's not going to get intercepted, that's not going to get stopped, that's actually going to make it to the guy. And you have to be able to make sure that you're throwing it at the right angle, at the right person, at the right time, all these sorts of things. While you're also getting surrounded and swamped by all these other players, there's just so much going on. In the same way as a esport athlete, you have a massive amount of information on your screen that you have to pay attention to, not just what your character is doing, not just what's around you, but there's all sorts of other things that are happening in the game that's usually even off your screen that you have to be kind of guessing for and figuring out and taking information as it is and reacting to it as best you can in just the fastest possible snap responses. And so being able to translate those things to a broadcast for fans who enjoy watching it to be able to cheer these teams on, cheer these players on, and people become passionate not just about the game, but the teams and the players that are participating as well. And it, there's another entire community, not just of players, but people that simply enjoy watching the action, that enjoy being able to sit back and see the best of the best people performing at their absolute top 
tier and doing what to most common people seems just incredible, way beyond any skill set that you or I will ever have. These athletes are just doing incredible things and being able to share the excitement for these athletes that you then support because they're just so incredible with other friends. And so anyone who is anyone who's played League of Legends and watches esports will know of Faker, this legendary South Korean player who has absolutely dominated the scene for multiple years on end and continues to just do jaw-dropping performances. And every type of sport has their, you know, uh, just absolute top tier player. You know, you talk about the goats, you know, uh, Michael Jordan, and you could you know, discuss who is the truest goat of all of that, Ryan, whatever. Um, in the same way, esports also have these, you know, absolute incredible uh, pinnacle figures that perform just uh, head and shoulders above everyone else. And they excite people about coming back again and again to watch them perform. And a full broad, like studio broadcast. Some of the uh, broadcast teams that are involved with esports are as big, if not even bigger, than with your traditional sports because you have to have enormous amount of people behind the scenes working within the game and all of the characters and collecting the data, getting the stats to be able to pull off these big, big productions, these huge studio productions of these professional athletes at their absolute top tier. You're listening to Looks Like New, a show that asks old questions about new tech. Stick with us, we'll be back soon. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio. We are having a conversation with Jake Kelton about esports. Yeah, I think there's like an insane, um, insanely large amount of talent pool. And especially just like being able to like follow these players through these broadcasts is pretty entertaining. Um, just me speaking as a average viewer, it has been a very interesting way of experiencing um, entertainment. Uh, I know with traditional sports, teams or like fans and viewers really like to follow their local teams or see players that they're really familiar with through like maybe a team that has held this player for a really long time. And, you know, with esports, I know it's very different with a lot of globalization and just being on the internet and being remote. How exactly does talent kind of translate into esports and how do you how are fans going to be able to find um, a team or even a player that they really like to follow if there isn't that local aspect that traditional sports have yeah and you you bring up a good point that you know to to go into a little bit deeper um because esports is let me rephrase it this way 
in traditional sports, a lot of teams start at the high school or even collegiate level, and their players get built up through these kind of pipelines of talent, is what they're called in the industry, that then get drafted into from uh, collegiate all the way up into the, the professional scene. And so once you hit a little bit of the collegiate, mostly in the professional, you start having players get kind of swapped around a little bit between different schools because, oh, this college wants to you know buy the contract from that player, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a whole market and, and immense amounts of, of money involved in all of those player swaps. And then in the professional scene as well, um, there's even more of that. There's, you know, oh, this this player who went to Cal State is now suddenly playing in, you know, Georgia because the contract was purchased by the, you know, state's football or baseball or basketball team, whatever it is. And so there's a lot of that mix, but most of the talent is still North American because a lot of the games are played here in North America. Esports is stepping into the next generation of sports, if you will, where there's more, as you said, globalization to it. For traditional sports, you only get basically the Olympics, when the best of the best from every region, for every country around the world comes together once every four years to take their sport and push it to the absolute top tier that they can manage. Um, And you get to see how those teams and those players, the best in the world, face off against each other in whatever it is, whatever sport in the Olympics that you're you're watching. Esports does that on a yearly basis, sometimes multiple times a year, depending on the esport that you're watching. They will take the best teams in the entire world that are playing these competitive video games and pit them against each other. And so because they are playing on a not just local, but in fact, global scale, A lot of players in the professional scene, while they are certainly invested in beating their local regional talent, they are really, they see that as simply a stepping stone to be able to get to the next tier of competitive gameplay is to be able to beat all of the other players in the entire world as well in these globalized games. And because they're broadcasted on a global level, it allows fans to be able to watch these best players from every region, from every country that is participating around the world to be able to play. And so there is some of that community built in for North American viewers who say, I want to see a North American representative team beat out EU's team or South Korean's team or China's team and say vice versa. Everyone finds a, a you know, team to connect with because that's the region that they are from, that they are represented by. And so there's some of that immediate connection because, oh, I'm from this region and I want to see my region's team perform better than everyone else's you know, regional teams. Um, and then what makes it even more interesting and exciting is that at that globalization level for the professional teams, players also swap. So you have South Korean players coming to play in North American or North America and EU players coming to North America and South America players going to EU. And there's a lot of uh, player and roster swapping on a global level as well that takes that competitive scene to an entirely new level as well. Because for a long time, I'll just use a specific example. There was a player named um, Bjergsen was his gamer tag, who it was considered to be North American's top 
you know, talent uh, in his positional role, but he actually came from Europe. And so being able to not just support quote unquote local talent in the sense that it's your regional talent, um, Bjergsen playing for North America, but being an EU talent as well allowed for even more fans because now both North American fans and European fans can come together and be like, yeah, we all love Bjergsen because he's just incredible and just amazing. Um, and so there's even more connection and community that's involved as people are able to connect on a global level as well as those local levels. And as esports continues to grow, as the collegiate scene continues to grow, there will be more of that because more schools will have those teams and those teams will then feed players from those schools into the academy scene, into the professional scene, and allow people to support teams and players who are, um, you know, oh, hey, I went to that school and that uh, player also went to that school. Now I'm already a fan because we both happen to go to the same school. Those things will happen more and more often as esports continues to grow. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, all of us uh, being college students here at CU, we definitely like see that kind of local aspect growing of like, oh, you know, in the gaming community, for example, we are pretty familiar with esports. And it's pretty cool to always see like announcements of just, how our team is doing and it's also you know fun you know with our rival school uh csu to see them play each other all the time and just see how that's all going and so i don't you know i think the globalization aspect and just being able to connect and have all these talents like go around is like really interesting but do you also feel like there might be some dangers with that globalization because I think like sometimes having that local team and having local talent for sports helps foster kind of a tighter community around that. You know, like you said, if your parents or your grandparents went to school or if you grew up watching certain players, it's nice to see that those players are local and you might be able to connect with them more. So what are some of like the dangers and maybe some of the benefits of having that globalization aspect for talent? Yeah, the benefits, I would say, are a lot more uh, connection and camaraderie across the globe in terms of, I think that in a lot of communities, there is this sense of um, there is the other, you know, this idea that, oh, because I went to this school, we are direct competitors with this other school. And they're, you know, why are you competitors? Well, that's just because they're that school and we're this school. That It's as simple as that, right? <laughs> they're, they're the other school, we're this school, we have to beat them every time because we have to prove that we're the better school. Um, in the same way that when you get to a global scale, there is that competition between, you know, we're a North American region fighting off against a European region, we want to be the better region. So, you know, let's be the best region. But as you said, and so some of the benefits of that is that when there are those players that swap, they can kind of cross a little bit of those boundaries. I think there's more people that have heard foreign languages on a regular basis through esports because of South Korean or Chinese players coming to North America and playing for North American teams. And then they're doing interviews where they're speaking their native language. I think there's more exposure to other cultures and other languages and other ways of, of both playing games and doing life that is amazing. Um, and that the it, it brings the world a little bit closer together because it's not just a, um, oh, there's the random person that I might occasionally run across that speaks Spanish at the grocery store. 
Instead, it's now I'm regularly hearing Chinese on you know the the esports productions that I'm listening to, and it it allows for a lot more exposure, um, which I think is really cool. I I do enjoy that and being able to see other cultures and and see other um, regions and and how they start to kind of interact and intermingle. But as you said, one of the dangers is that when those player trades can become extremely heavy, there can be, as you said, that, that loss of direct connection to a team because of completely losing the local talent. Um, I'm going to use a, a bit of a specific example in which, you know, for people that are fans of baseball, they'll be able, maybe able to connect with. But in baseball, at least here in Atlanta, Georgia, we had a player, Freddie Freeman, who performed amazing in the, the Braves baseball for the last several seasons. And we were huge fans of him, all of Atlanta, whoever, you know, people that watched baseball and sometimes even other, you know, states and everyone supported Freddie Freeman in the Braves because he was an amazing player. He was a really awesome guy. Um, he was really cool. But we eventually, he this year, his contract got bought out and he ended up going to the Dodgers. Well, it turns out he's actually a California boy. And so he was returning back to his native region, if you will, of the West Coast. And so we lost a connection to our player, even though he performed and played for the East Coast, for the Atlanta Braves for a very long time. Um, and he went back to, to where he was from. Well, if the Atlanta Braves suddenly this next season brought in, you know, got rid of their entire roster and started brand new with players from all over the rest of the country and, you know, people that we had never heard of before that were as a completely new roster we'd never connected with before, it'd be very difficult to connect with players who played for colleges that you've never heard of or played for states that you've never visited or played for a region that you've never been to in North America just because there isn't that innate, hey, we grew up in the same area, we know the same things, we eat the same food, we're interested in the same topics that comes from that little bit of regional connection. With esports, it's a little bit more dangerous to hit that point because there are fewer players per team. In Rocket League, you can get down to three players. League of Legends is, is typically five players because you have so few players and there are now not just regional, but global player trades that are happening. This is something that's going to occur very likely this year for North America in the esport League of Legends is we are going to send teams to the MSI which is one of the first global competitive events for League of Legends esports. And not a single player from North America will be participating on the North American teams going to this global event because all of the teams that are playing have players that have been imported from other regions around the world. It, it just happened that way. It, you know, that's kind of how certain things occur. But there's, as a North American um, citizen and you know, living in the region of North America, I'm not just talking about North America because uh, when I say that includes Canada, includes some of South America, it's just a, a whole region. In esports, there is a, a globalization. There are these very large regions which many countries are participating in. Um, when your teams that are supposed to be representing your region have players that none of them grew up in the region that you're from, it can slightly um, impede that 
excitement for the teams and the players that are participating because you're cheering for players that are from other countries that are invested in other topics and that they just don't have that sense of a home team. You know, even baseball has a song about root, root, root for the home team, except that none of these players come from your home region. And so it's not that you can't get excited. And I certainly am excited for many of the teams that are going, but there is a little bit of a sense of I'm not as excited because there isn't that local talent that can, in a sense, represent me at this global event. The team is a local team in the sense that they play for the region, but the players as themselves are not as local talent that are participating. And so that's somewhat of the danger in that globalization. If you have too many player trades, it can hinder people's ability to have that base connection because of the local regional talent and the local regional sense of connection um, to these players. Yeah, I definitely think it kind of sounds like there is a um, kind of a weird balance because a lot of these teams really want to have um, like the best players, like the best talent or, like from across the world. Because, you know, some of these teams, like you said, um, are willing to spend lots of money to bring players from Korea, from China, and make them pretty much just move, get up and move all the way to America just to play. So it kind of seems like there's a huge focus on just bringing the best talent to the team and just trying to grow the competitiveness and skill of the competitive scene. Um, and I was like kind of wondering, like, like you said, it does really deter away from like the community, but isn't that in a way something that a lot of the players also want because um you know speaking as a player myself it's always amazing to just see like the skill constantly increase and you know traditional sports i feel like has benefit to having those communities that follow but i feel like you know even with traditional sports you could take probably some of the best players from multiple areas and just bring them into just one super team and just have some insanely impressive skill so how is that uh balance treated as both from your aspect as a broadcaster or also from a lot of the players and fans for some of these teams and some of these players yeah there as you said there is a balance that needs to be found between looking for the best talent and looking for people that you can connect with and people that you can engage with i think that Something that you're going to find, though, as time goes on, especially in the competitive esport world, is that a skill that you may not think is necessary may become necessary, which is being more multilingual. Because when you are on a team and you are participating with team members and communication is everything to be able to tell your teammates what needs to happen and be able to communicate where you're going, what you're doing and why you're doing it. Go to any sport and you'll hear people constantly yelling at each other. The coaches yelling at the players, the players yelling at each other. There's a massive amount of communication that's going on. The same thing occurs in esports as well. 
And the, but if the players speak two different languages, there are some of those language barriers that then have to be broken down over time. And so as players, you will likely see more people that are invested in being multilingual, multicultural, multi-regional, um, really being more invested into those esports because now it's not simply just about the best skill because that's, I think, the difference. You can be an incredibly amazing athlete at very one particular thing. That doesn't mean you're going to be an incredible athlete on a team. You can be an incredible runner, but if you are just as a specific runner, then thrown onto a team with a bunch of other people and told that you have to hand the baton off to them, you may not perform as well because there are more communication and more in step and working with your team and all of the um, emotional side of things that come with that deep level of connection with your teammates that that gets added on top of a team's performance. And so what we see, especially in North America, where there is such a mixed bag of other regional talent thrown into local talent, and it's all pooled together into one amazing casserole of <laughs> talent. Uh, that's a Southern term for you. I'm, I'm from you know, the Southeastern side of the United States. Um, the When you have that mix of talent, that is coming together, that mix of cultures, that mix of communication, that mix of languages, that mix of all of these other aspects, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are then going to have an output of the highest skilled team. Because just because they're incredible in their individual role doesn't mean that they will work together to be the most incredible team. And I think that's why you see a difference in performance between local uh, sporting events and the Olympics, is that the Olympics are very heavily, even teams that participate in the Olympics really only compete for the Olympics. They're not doing a ton of competition for their home events. Like think about the, the luge or something where you have multiple people working together to uh, achieve uh, um, the, the highest you know, speed or whatever. You have people that are practicing. Yes, they, they come from these regions, but they're practicing for the Olympics because it's a different level of competition. Um, or you have the individual sports where it's just about you being the best runner that you can be, you being the best javelin thrower that you can be. Um, and so I, I think, as you said, there's a little bit of a balance of we need to have players that maybe they aren't the number one uh, player in that particular role as a, a mid laner for League of Legends or as a striker for Rocket League or as a point guard for um, Valorant or something you don't have the highest, the absolute best player for that particular role. You take something, someone who's not as the top, maybe number five, but he works well with the team that you're trying to build, the culture that you're trying to build. Um, he's able to communicate well. He's able to take direction well. And it all depends on how you're trying to build your team, especially when you're looking at that professional level. And so you see some teams that lean more heavily into local talent, trying to bring up players that have a lot of potential and they build a certain culture that they're looking for. And then you see other teams that say, hey, we have the money. We're just going to buy players from other regions and try to put these puzzle pieces together in a certain way that makes something incredible happen. And both are valid strategies 
depending on how the people that are running that professional team are looking at building those teams. You're listening to Looks Like New, a show that asks old questions about new tech. Stick with us, we'll be back soon. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio. We are having a conversation with Jake Kelton about esports. Yeah, for sure. It seems like there's kind of uh, a lot going on, especially with you know teams, talent players, um, and for a lot of fans, I'd imagine it's probably a little bit difficult sometimes to kind of choose a team or even honestly just get started into watching professional esports so i guess what is kind of like your best advice or guidelines for both people who are just barely familiar with league of legends or even just haven't even touched a video game in their life how do these people get involved into esports and kind of what is their incentive to watching esports and as opposed to other forms of entertainment like like television shows or just televised uh traditional sports that that's a really good question um if you are at each i think each i think that each different type of person who's wanting to get invested in esports will have a slightly different road that they will go through as a person who plays a sport a, a competitive game and that wants to watch the more professional side of things, wants to watch these broadcasts, they probably have enough knowledge about the game that they can simply find, whether it's through researching on the internet, those games and be able to get plugged into watching them. But more importantly than that, you'll probably want to find some of the online communities of people that are all fans of watching the games and start to get plugged in with them, whether it's through apps like Discord or whether it's through communities through Twitter or Reddit or wherever it is that your social media connection is that you most invest in. There are communities of people that are just incredibly passionate about esports and they enjoy being able to share that with new people that are coming in. When you know a little bit about the game, it's like knowing a little bit about traditional sports. You may not need someone to explain why every uh, time that they throw the football, they pause the game before they then recollect and go to do it again. Uh, And which confused me for the longest time before someone finally explained football to me. Um, For if you have no experience with um, video games and competitive video games, but also want to tune in to figure out what is this esports and how does it work? Um, I would say try to find a friend that either watches or plays or knows more information about it than than you do. Um, if you're uh, an older person, a parent, it's very likely that your kids watch it. So maybe sit down with your kids and ask them, what type of esports do you watch? What type of games is it that you're playing that you enjoy the esport of? And even if you don't understand it at first, just like watching with a traditional sport, it just takes a little bit of time for you to start to pick up the the information that's worth being able to watch and understand and listening to the commentators and how they explain the game. 
And it takes a little bit of time, but very quickly you will start to learn the basics of the game. And if you have a friend, a coworker, a child, um, someone that you can ask those questions of and learn more about the game, you will see them light up because most people that are passionate about this stuff are like, oh, there's somebody I get to talk to about this. Let's go. I get to explain to you why I love this game so much, the characters that I'm really invested in playing in, the objectives that I really love to do, the special tricks and things that I've learned on being able to, to perform well. Um, you can learn a lot about the game and then it's something that you can share with that that passion um, with that person about. And all of the games are saved online, especially from the professional scene, through things like YouTube or Twitch, if you know much about Twitch streaming, which allows you to be able to, maybe you don't even watch the games live because your work schedule doesn't allow for it. Um, that, that friend, that kid, that coworker, whoever it is, maybe you get together and you go back through the videos on YouTube and watch one or two games to be able to pick it up. Um, and then for teams, that's something that it's very likely the person who's already watching the eSport will already have a favorite team that you can learn about the players from that particular team. And then as you start to watch, you'll see players who stand out. Maybe it's the personality of the player that's a little bit too self-confident, that they just, they know that they're the absolute best, or at least that's what they think they know. And, and so they're a little bit egotistical in the sense that nobody can challenge me. And then you watch them, you know, because of that, you connect with them and you're like, ah, oh, that's the confidence I like to see. But maybe you want to see that confidence get absolutely destroyed. And so in a game where they lose and, and that, that player performs very poorly, now you're suddenly a fan of the other team. Because, hey, you put that guy who is super confident, you put him in his place. You showed him that he's not nearly as good as he is. Um, maybe you like the player that's a little bit more reserved and that's a little bit quieter, but that has some incredible mechanical skill that's able to always escape. He never dies. He's always able to find a way to get out, save a teammate, or you know perform just at a level that most other players simply can't imagine or be able to achieve. And so the technical uh, experience, the um, in the same way for traditional sports, that football player who's able to run the ball through a crowd of 40 people and suddenly they're on the other side and you're going how did he get through and there was like 50 arms reaching for him and suddenly he's running away on the other side those sorts of technical skills are performed in competitive video game sports as well and they can be just as entertaining to to watch and then with any game when the competition is very fierce and when it comes down to those very last second plays and there's, you know, everything is on a razor's edge as to who is actually going to win a game. The intensity of that one point, you know, game in basketball, buzzer shot thrown into the air. Everyone's breath is held as the basketball flies through the air. Will it go through the hoop or not? You get that same experience in competitive video games in which there's the same games are right on a razor's edge. And as both teams are doing their absolute best to be able to push their characters and push the game just a little bit harder to beat out the other team, man, it can be just incredibly exciting and adrenaline rush to watch and to hear the commentators just going nuts over the performance of the players in the game and the reverse sweep 
in the series is complete and the team that nobody expected to win is now the best team of the local region or whatever the game is, is just incredibly exciting. And I don't know. I love it. I, I love it every every time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's super awesome that like, you know, living we're like living in a time and age where we're just talking about esports so casually i feel like um you know maybe if we had this conversation five or even just 10 years ago it's like you know you would hear esports and laugh but it it sounds so like real and so like um human you know it's very emotionally evolved you got so much going on for the players for the fans for the media production side of things you know it's a huge industry huge community and it just sounds super in depth and you know complex and so finally i just wanted to ask you looking forward what does esports need to continue growing like it has over the last couple years Exactly as you said, that it's grown in the last five to ten years, we'll jump ten years back and we'll say that gaming back then, while there certainly were competitive games, a lot of it was seen as just, you know, people playing games, sitting at home, and even if they love to to compete against other people, it still was in the sphere of game, not sport. And uh loser sitting at home in his parents' basement, not athlete. A lot of that has to do with the skill set of the players back then still being heavily developed, whereas now you have training programs, you have people that are going through gauntlets of, of training to be able to be at the highest caliber of being able to perform in this competitive game. You have people, as you mentioned earlier, with these contracts being paid tens, hundreds, sometimes even, you know, I think recently there was a, a player that had a $3 million three-year contract or something that is just real money. And the separation is uh, mostly in that you're going from a person who is doing this activity as a hobby to a person who has a career making an enormous amount of money, enough money to be able to live off of doing this particular activity. It is no longer a hobby. It's a career. It's a profession. When it's a profession, you have pros. You have people that are at the highest level of being able to do whatever this thing is. That's why when you look at the traditional sports, the professionals are the people who do this full time. This is their job. This is what they do. They're not going to some you know, office job Monday through Friday and then going out and playing some games on the weekend as a hobby. This is them performing this quote-unquote game, this sport, this activity at a professional level. Um, so where the scene sits at the moment, we have started to see that heavy push into the professional side of things, people getting paid uh, enough money to be able to make a living doing nothing but this one activity at the highest tier possible. There is going to be a lot more growth from the, I would say, collegiate and the amateur side of things as people realize that they can take now this hobby and turn it into a career. There's a much stronger push for people who are who used to play this game as a hobby in the evenings for fun when they got home from their school or job or whatever it is that they were doing. And this was just a side project that they enjoyed for the entertainment. 
But now that has been turned into, I'm building resume material that I can submit as a application to a team that could pick me on or you know, pick me up and take me on to be a full-time professional uh, athlete at this sport in the same way that your high school or college player is performing these sports, football, basketball, you know, uh, golf, whatever it is. And they take the statistics that they're able to build. They take the performance that they had in that school and use it as a resume material when submitting applications to the next higher up level that they're trying to get to. As time goes on looking forward, as more people are submitting and investing into that, colleges will grow. The collegiate scene will develop because colleges are realizing that with all of these fans, with these players, with these viewers, if you have a hundred students that are playing this you know, competitive game on your school campus, which there's a lot more than 100, let me tell you that, on pretty much every school campus in the entire country. Um, but let's just say you have 100. You may only have five players that are able to play on your team. That means you have 95 students that are going to show up to watch those five players participate in this game. That's a lot of eyes wanting to support these five players perform for the school because they are the school's best players. And so schools are starting to realize, hey, we should invest in being able to build our own collegiate teams, our own high school teams that are performing in these um, competitive game sports and uh, use those to then bolster our school's student population, our communities of, of student populations that are all invested into these same games. And then they can start to trade some of those players or send those players on into the um, professional scene. And now it's not just, oh, this one random player came from this place over here in this particular state. It's, hey, this student is a CU Boulder student. This student is someone who performed from this college so well that not only as an athlete and a student, they were then picked up for a full career in being able to perform as an athlete for this competitive game. And so it just takes it to a whole nother level. And then I think the last thing um, is besides these players that are coming and investing, you will have the players that are starting to move on in their careers, they have decided that, oh, this is just a hobby of mine, but I really enjoy watching the competitive scene. And they will then pass on their love of watching the competitive scene to the next generation. It was 10 years ago that things were starting. Give it another 10 years, they will now, those people that were in their teenages and early 20s are now in their you know mid to late 30s and early 40s having kids. And those kids are growing up with their parents watching these competitive sports, sitting down for a game of competitive League of Legends, a competitive Overwatch, competitive Rocket League, competitive uh, Valorant, and saying, hey, I am enjoying this esport as well. And then the parents can say, hey, maybe you'll never make a career out of playing the game, but why don't you jump on your computer? I'll jump on mine and we'll play as parent and kid play these games together. 
And now it's another way to connect, another community that you can join. Friends will get together and they, it's happening right now, but it will grow over time. Get together to watch the big world's event of the entire globe coming together to perform at the highest level. I've gotten together with friends and done sleepovers to watch these huge competitive events happen at the highest possible tier. Uh, these sorts of things will be more common. They will be um, what people who love the competitive video games will be doing as their social events moving forward. And usually those people are the same people that are also invested in competitive sports. Because look, if you love competition, whether it's on the field or off the field, you're still going to enjoy the competitive nature of these sporting events in one way or the other. So maybe you don't watch esports right now. But if you've got a friend that you're going to a baseball game with or a football game with or a basketball game with, maybe you reach out to your, you know, one of them and say, hey, do you watch esports? Because it's very, very likely that they do. And now you have a whole new world that you can engage with and connect with with your friend on a whole new level. Yeah. Thank you so much again, man. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio a show that asks old questions about new tech. We've been speaking with Jake Kelton. I'm Skylar Hugh, today's host of Looks Like New, a production of CU's Media Enterprise Design Lab. You can find out more about our work at colorado.edu slash lab slash M-A-D-L-A-B. If you liked what you heard, please spread the word about this show and consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Leaving positive reviews will help our conversations reach more listeners. We would love to hear your comments or guest ideas. You can reach us by emailing medlab at colorado.edu. I hope you'll join us for another conversation next month.